0: And welcome to the June 24th, 2020 edition of Peaceful Globalist Review. I am your host, the Peaceful Globalist, Ephraim Jocene. And ladies and gentlemen, something happened last night. This is from Meg Carnard on Twitter. Officials in the historic city of Charleston, South Carolina, are expected to vote to remove the 100-foot high statue of former vice president and slavery advocate John C. Calhoun. I'll be in Charleston tonight after the city council votes. And yeah, the city council did vote to remove the statue of John C. Calhoun. Um, Now, of course, we could talk about if this is a racing history, and we've had a discussion a million and a half times before. I would like to ask the question, though, why is there a 100-foot statue of John C. Calhoun I mean, yeah, he was from South Carolina. Obviously, South Carolina would name something after him. But why a 100-foot statue? Even compared to other politicians whose morality has not aged the best, the only real honor John C. Calhoun has is he's the only vice president to serve as vice president for two different presidents. He was vice president for both John Quincy Adams and Andrew Jackson. Besides that, he didn't really have much that separated him from your typical southern politician of that era. Uh, For those who don't know, Calhoun basically ended his career as a very strong anti-federalist, a supporter of states' rights and nullification. He was anti-tariff and believed states could secede from the Union, which was actually a very commonly held view back then. Okay. However, he wasn't always that. I want to make that clear. He wasn't always that. He actually started off his political career as a very strong Federalist. However, one thing that never changed throughout Calhoun's career is his unending support of slavery, even being against attempts to stop the expansion of it. Seriously. I'm not not making that one up. And again, there were tons of Southern politicians who agreed with him on that. He was not some isolated exception. My question is, then why is there a statue of him when he was just a dime a dozen southern racist? I mean, we think of his views as abhorrent today, and we should. But His views were very standard among anti-federalist politicians of that era. And if you want to have someone who agreed, basically every single view Calhoun espoused was also espoused by Thomas Jefferson. Minus, of course, Jefferson eventually coincided, I think it was 1820 he did this, that slavery was, or not coincided, admitted, conceded, that's what I mean, conceded that slavery was a bad thing. Now, who never did that? He went to the Senate floor and directly said that slavery was a necessary good, that it was great and we should always have it. So there's no reason to build a statue of him. There isn't. I'm sorry. Any view that he espoused that you like, maybe you just like his states' rights idea. Maybe you just like his nullification idea. Maybe you just like his anti-federalist ideology. Well, okay, then build a statue of Thomas Jefferson. Seriously, build a statue to him. That would make way more sense than Calhoun because Jefferson was a far far more important historical figure arguably the most important founding father than John C Calhoun ever will be I'm sorry but that's true okay Calhoun in the grand scheme of things didn't do very much and if you want to use the argument well it's a sign of heritage a symbol of heritage That's really the best heritage South Carolina has, is a statue of John C. Calhoun? I mean, at least, like, with other well-known Confederates, or even well-known racists, you know, people like Jefferson Davis or Robert E. Lee, they did have an impact on history, okay? Lee had a, a giant impact on history. I mean, that man was a symbol. Same thing with Jefferson Davis. Calhoun, he was known among academic spheres, and it is arguable his words helped the South decide they wanted to secede or that they could secede. But even then, that argument is nonsensical. That's just nonsensical. Tom Woods talks about this in A Politically Incorrect Guide to American History. By that point, for a century... It was considered common sense that states could secede from the Union. Calhoun didn't introduce that radical idea. Jefferson did. And even among other politicians of that era that are morally questionable, Jefferson beats Calhoun in every area. In every area. Build more statues of him. Make his birthday a national holiday. Seriously. Seriously. He had flaws, don't get me wrong. He moved history a lot more than John C. Calhoun did. I mean, even if, say, Alabama put up a 100 foot statue of, like, George Wallace, for instance, the governor who stood in front of the uh, University of Alabama specifically because he didn't want black people to enter, at the very least, Wallace did have an impact on history. He was a symbol. He was doing, he did, he was a gigantic inspiration to segregationists. Now, that's a bad thing to be an inspiration for. We all acknowledge that, and Wallace did later acknowledge that near the end of his life. But for that matter, Wallace ran one of the most successful independent presidential, presidential campaigns in modern U.S. history. He was the last independent candidate to get any electoral votes. Seriously. So right there, he's more historical than John C. Calhoun on that alone. Now, Wallace did. And he was a bad person, don't get me wrong. Wallace did, at the very least, move history, okay? Or you could say he was standing at the gates of history, however you want to phrase it. He at least had an impact on history. John C. Calhoun did not. John C. Calhoun stood on the sidelines of history and just sort of screamed at it, quote, from far, far more influential people. Again, any idea you want to thank Calhoun for, Jefferson said it and said it a hundred times better, okay? And when you remove any ideas from Thomas Jefferson that are good, which is what Calhoun is, he's Jefferson minus any original good ideas, you just get the slavery. And that's what John C. Calhoun is. So I don't really feel sorry for this statue. Anyway, now let's talk about online privacy and how Congress keeps trying to make sure it doesn't exist. From Reason, Sanders proposed a cool new contest to destroy your online privacy. On Tuesday, Sanders, Graham, and Conn and then co-sponsored Senator Marshall Blackburns introduced the Lawful Access to Encryption Data Act. The full text of the bill is not yet available, but a summary post on the Senate Judiciary Committee, where Graham is the chairman, makes the bill's goal clear. Quote, the debate over encryption and lawful access has raged on unresolved for years. The lawful access to encryption data would bring an end to warrant-proof encryption data in devices, platforms, and systems. Uh, of course, the idea of an encryption backdoor does not actually do anything but make data more accessible to hackers. Yay. Here's my question. If I get doxed because of an encryption backdoor mandated by the government, can I sue the federal government? Serious serious question. Serious question. Also, I have no idea how you'd enforce an encryption backdoor because any information that would prove that it's not happening could also theoretically be encrypted. But that's just a nitpick. Here's hoping they don't figure that part out. Uh, More from Reason, they're referring to the end-to-end encryption, a tool for protecting data From hacking and outside access by making it very difficult, if not impossible, for anyone without permission to access the encrypted info. Even the company that created the communication device or app, like Apple or Facebook, cannot gain access to the data. That's the point of this type of encryption. Again, why does the federal government need our information? We have survived for, what now, over 300 years? Well, no, not even then. Even then. That's unfair because the internet has only really existed in its modern form for about 30 years. If not, about 25, actually. We'll say 25. So the internet's existed for 25 years. Why do we suddenly now need an encryption backdoor? Why do we need it? Serious question. Why do we need it? What terrorist attack could have been stopped? What crime could have been stopped if we just didn't use god dang end to end encryption, just give me one example, and we'll discuss it. That's all I want. Just one example they can't because this doesn't exist because doing such a thing would be very, very difficult to prove, and that they don't care. they just want to be authoritarian. Uh, Here are some other components of the legislation listed in the summary, again provided by reason. Once a warrant is obtained, the bill would require device manufacturers and service providers to assist law enforcement with accessing encrypted data if assistance would aid in the execution of the warrant. Um, okay. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of a couple years ago. I think this was 2014, 2015. There was a controversy because what happened was the FBI was trying to get into like a terrorist's iPhone or something. And so, instead of hacking it, like they could do, or finding some way to bypass the password, which you can do, by the way. There are ways to do. Or even just asking Apple to bypass the password on the account of the FBI. I mean, I doubt that Apple couldn't bypass the password if they tried hard enough. They instead basically wanted to make it so they could hack into everybody's iPhone. Because, of course, that's how the FBI thinks. If there's a single way they could not be keeping an eye on you, then they're going to try and make sure that's no longer the case. At least in 1984, Winston could hide in the corner of his room. I mean, seriously. At least in 1984, Winston could hide in the corner of his room. They don't even want us to do that anymore. We can't do that. We just can't. Because we might be committing terrorist activities in that small little corner of our room. I mean, who knows what we're doing? Maybe we're building bombs. Maybe, I don't know, we're... This is, by the way, one of the terrorist attacks Dick Cheney, former vice president, said he stopped through torture. Maybe we're taking uranium, spinning it around for 40 minutes straight really fast and creating bombs with it. Maybe that's what we're doing. So they need to keep an eye on us at all times, no matter what. No matter what. Ignore the fact that we've managed to survive as a nation for centuries without it. That civilizations have survived for centuries without it. No, sorry, sorry. We just need it. We just need it. 2020, for some reason, guys, for some reason, we just need it now. Uh, Here's some more. It allows the attorney general, a.k.a. 250 pounds rotten veal, known as William Barr, to issue directive to service providers and device manufacturers to report on on their ability to comply with court orders, including timeline for implementation. It directs the attorney general to create a prize competition to award participants who create a lawful access solution in an encryption environment while maximizing privacy and security. That's impossible. That is actually impossible. I'm sorry, but that's objectively impossible. Hackers are going to find out that back door. They are. Okay? If somebody is dedicated enough to get your information, it doesn't matter who they are, they're going to get it no matter what. In the same way where, this is a direct quote from Mr. Enter, if somebody wants to kill you, you'd be dead right now. Okay? That's just kind of the state we live in. So what they want is essentially for these places to create a free range where if they, for hackers just split that one switch, they'll get all your data. But they are going to use it, don't worry. Only the government's going to use it. Only the government's going to use it. Because of course they will. Because who who expects anything different? Uh, It funds a grant program within the Justice Department National Domestic Communication Assistance Center to increase digital evidence training for law enforcement and create a call center for advice and assistance during the investigation. Oh, God. And by the way, by the way, you know that even if this bail, this bill passes, it's not going to work. It's not. We live in an era right now, and I remember I talked about this with Sal Diagoras when I had him on the show, where people are becoming more and more skeptical of government getting information. That's why government is currently holding this whole dog and pony show about Facebook getting your information. Facebook might know who your friends are. Meanwhile, the government gets to know everything else about you. But no one cares about that. No one cares about that. Facebook knowing what you click on That's the issue. Google, knowing what you Google. Who who knows? Who knows what they'll do with that? We actually know exactly what they're going to do with it. They're going to sell it to other companies. Not really that complicated. Like, there are a million worse things that are going on right now than some guy in a room knowing what you recently Googled. Uh, For instance, government with power to arrest you. If you engage in activities they don't like. I think that's a far, far, far bigger concern. Um, but, okay. That's a different rant for another day. But no, people today are more concerned about their privacy than ever. This is why I remember when it clicked with me. I was talking about this with Saudi Agouros a while ago. Uh, when I saw all these mainstream YouTube channels. And I'm talking like the angry video game nerd. I think, was one that took me to the back the most. Running Express VPN. Like, a decade ago, if you were using an, an a VPN, you were that weird guy and were probably looking at child porn, at least according to the mainstream consensus. Mind you, there's actually not really very much child porn on the deep web. Side note, anyone who says the deep web is all, like, child porn and gore picks has never actually been on it. Like, you have to find hidden wikis in order to actually go to the deep web. Most of those, like, Just take you to normal websites. The worst you'll find is a piracy website with a few too many anti-Semitic books. Like, seriously, that's the worst you'll encounter. Unless somebody directly links you to a child porn website, or you go looking for it. And if it's the second one, you're the weird one there. Okay? (laughs) I know that's not an opinion that writes crack articles. But that's the truth. Um, But no, now VPNs are becoming bigger than ever. Now virtual privacy networks are becoming bigger than ever. That's what VPN stands for, for those who don't know. Now people are more concerned about their data than ever, and government doesn't like that. Why doesn't government like that? Because government wants to keep tabs on you at all times, no matter what. Okay? Because then you're much more likely to to follow their suggestions, suggestions in quotes, if you live in fear of them. Okay? Everybody knows that. That's why your average authoritarian government wants to depict an image where you're afraid of them. Where you're afraid of them watching 24-7. That's why going back to 1984, they had those telescreens everywhere. Despite the fact that I don't think a single person was actually caught or arrested for something they were seen doing through a telescreen throughout all of 1984. Um... Now, that doesn't matter. It's the illusion that matters. So, yeah, government probably will never see your data, Will prob- but that's not the point. The point is to be a symbol that they could. That's what they're telling you. They theoretically could do something like that in hopes that you'll live in fear. It's really obvious what's going on. I mean, that's really what's going on at this point. And hence why they don't like privacy, because in privacy, you aren't afraid of them because they can't see you doing anything. Anyway, uh, I don't know if you've heard this, but nationalism is going to take over the Republican Party. It's going to give them 350 seats in Congress and, like, 80 seats in the Senate. And us libertarians are just going to be screwed forever. And then it's going to be in the future, okay? Okay. It's going to be, a nationalist, uh, nationalists, versus socialists, guys. There's no place for free-market libertarians, you know the punchline. Trump wanted to throw Massey's out of the Republican Party, but the libertarian-leaning congressman just won his primary anyway. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I love this so much. Libertarian-leaning representative Thomas Massey's R Kentucky has crushed his opponent in the Republican primary for Northern Kentucky seat he represented since 2012. It was one of two notable victories for GOP primary challengers against more overtly Trump-aligned challengers. By early evening, Masseys had racked up 88% of the unofficial vote against Todd McMurty, a lawyer who represented Covington Catholic student Nick Sandman in his lawsuit against media outlets. Wow, it's like nobody cares about Nick Sandman man or something. Oh, that was going to be their big symbol. This kid just smiling at some Native American and then a few people overreacted for like two hours. Um, and then he sued CNN and I'm pretty sure he lost by the way. I'm, no, no, he won. He won. But he's still going. He's still going. He just shows up every now and again hoping to get another 15 minutes of fame. I really don't like Nick Sandman. Uh, <laughs> If you can't tell. If you cannot tell. The official results won't be released until June 30th, when the election officials have had enough time to count mail-in ballots. Uh, Massey's libertarian streak and willingness to buck Republican leadership have earned him the explicit rebuke from President Donald Trump in recent months, something McMurphy did his best to capitalize on. It then shows a tweet from uh, David Weinstein that says, Big St-, or David Wasserman, sorry, That says, big statement win for Kentucky, fourth. Uh, Representative Thomas Massey's after the president called him to be, quote, thrown out of the Republican Party back in March. Massey beat Attorney Todd McMurthy, 88% to 12% after multiple House Republicans repudiated McMurthy over unearthed racist tweets. And by the way, if you remember, McMurthy directly tried to accuse Massey of being a racist later on because he flew a Confederate flag over his house in Kentucky. But I thought that was a symbol of heritage, not hate. Isn't that what the Republican Party has been telling us? Southern Republicans have been telling us for, what, seven, eight years now? Heritage, not hate, except when Representative Masson flies it over his house. Then it's just pure hate. Nothing but hate. And by the way, I decided I'd check the Twitter accounts of a couple of the top hashtag libertarianism is over people. You know, people like John Miller, who said libertarians have no political future, despite working for the blaze. Like, what political future does he have, exactly? Michelle Bachman? Serious question. Because that's really the only thing I can think of. (laughs) Oh, my God, guys, you've got Michelle Bachman. How could you? Oh, she lost the 2012 primaries in a landslide because she's insane. Oh, no. (laughs) No, like, I checked John Miller, I checked Sohar Barami, I checked uh, Ryan Grandusky, who actually has worked with Massey on several occasions. That surprised me in a lot. I didn't know that. Uh, So you're not on my enemies list for that specific action, Grandusky. And I was, like, actually worried I was spelling it wrong, because I searched up their name and Massey, and I also did it with Scott Greer, didn't find anything. I found a tweet from Nick Fuentes today that said the future is nationalist, to which I just laugh in yesterday. That's my whole response, laughing in yesterday. And for that matter, laughing at Steve King. (laughs) I mean, first Steve King goes down, that was really their biggest nationalist representative. That was their big guy. That was the guy who the Daily Stormer called him an open white nationalist. And when he lost, he said that was the only congressman uh, representing white people interests. You might remember Andrew Anglican, the guy who runs Daily Stormer, said. And the Daily Stormer, by the way, is still in full meltdown mode and has been for the past half a year. Which, again, if you have the stomach for it, go read it. It's actually hilarious with your ad block turned on, of course. Uh But no, now Richard Spencer is out of money for his uh, lawsuit. Yeah, his attorney left him for his lawsuit in Charlottesville. I don't know if you guys saw that. It was amazing that that happened. And Massey's keeping his seat. I'm near certain Amash is keeping his seat, too, come November. Like, I have this overwhelming feeling that I just know Amash is keeping his seat, which will be great. He'll be the first libertarian to win a congressional election. Uh, But nationalism is the way of the future. It always seems to be the way of the future. You guys ever notice? It's never the way of the present. You know, when Buchanan ran in 92 and 96, it was the way of the future. Odd, for some reason, that future just never seems to materialize. But it's coming one day. It's coming one day. Hashtag libertarianism is over. Oh, it's over again. It's over again. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of uh, the crimeologist, a.k.a. Bill Crystal, because that's what he looks like that. I'm sorry. He looks almost exactly like the crimeologist from Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I'm never going to let anyone forget that. Uh, When he was tweeting out, peak Trump, you guys remember that in 2015? Uh, It was peak Trump this, peak Trump that after anything that happened involving Donald Trump. Then he started winning primaries. Then Super Tuesday happened and it was well, Super Trump Day. And then Bill Kristol was just proven to be wrong on every account. That's what these libertarianism is over people remind me of. Peak libertarian, peak libertarian, peak libertarian. Oh, what? Massey's staying in office and King just lost. Oh, no, bro. <laughs> Oh, no. Donald Trump keeps betraying you every step of the way and you don't like his administration anymore. Well, sorry, guys. Sorry. It looks like your ideology isn't suited for the real world. It's suited for cocaine-fueled election uh, campaigns. I'll give you that much. It's not really suited for actual reality. Actually, out of sheer curiosity, I went to dailystormer.su, which is their URL. Again, you cannot go to this place without your ad blocker on. And I searched up Massey. Of course, Anglican hasn't written, or Anglin, hasn't written anything about the uh, primary. I did search Massey on his website, and the second article was... Hopefully, two trillion in government handouts will finally kill libertarianism. Oh, oh, Andrew. Oh, Andrew, you have no idea. And there's also this great paragraph. Libertarians took over the GOP with Reagan. That's that's wrong. I have a whole chapter about this in my book, Ramblings of a Madman. And the National Review, yes, noted libertarian William Buckley. You know, if Buckley was such a libertarian, it's odd that he hated Ayn Rand and Murray Rothbard. You ever actually read, like, he published this really scathing review of Atlas Shrugged in National Review, and then when Rothbard died in 95, I believe, wrote a very insulting obituary of him. Like, really insulting. Uh... <laughs> Worked his hardest to kick those people out of any mainstream discourse, but he's a libertarian. He just hates the two most influential libertarian thinkers from a philosophy standpoint. But he likes Milton Friedman, okay? He believes in capitalism. So that's basically libertarianism. And they've served as an evil parasite, doing the bidding of Jews. Oh, thank you, we try. Telling Christians that it is morally wrong to fight for their interests. Uh... We've never once done that, but okay. Their economic positions are as dumb as their philosophical values. Thank you. A Republican president signing a $2 trillion aid package probably represents the end of this kind of stupid dogma. Good on the big guy. My America isn't dead yet. And it shows a picture of, like, a family. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Here's one of their articles from 2016, July 20th, 2016. Why the libertarian movement is over and the nationalist movement is upon us. Oh, my (sighs) God. Oh, my God. Andrew. Andrew, you have no idea. You have no idea. I mean, just what can you say at this point? These people are perpetually wrong. That's what they are. They're perpetually wrong. And it is going to be hilarious to see just them continue to be wrong. To just be on the sidelines of history screaming that we're finished, that we're done for hopefully the rest of my life. And, oh, man, it's amazing. It is amazing. Anyway, in other news, there's been an even bigger revolution against your kind of average politician than I realized. Um, well, I knew this was going to happen from the start, but I didn't realize when the race started it would be like this. Let me phrase it like that. I'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, this is from The Hill. Bowman declares victory over Engel in New York primary his votes still being counted. As of writing, or as of saying this, as of time of recording, Bowman has over 60% of the votes in the primary against Elliot Angle. I mean, wow. Just wow. And here's the thing with Elliot Angle, might I add. He could have won this really easily. He just screwed it up. And I mean, he really screwed it up. All by himself. You might remember what brought him to, well, my intention was the fact that he said that he only cared about the George Floyd protests because he has a primary soon. This also made the mistake of reminding people that he has a primary soon. Whoops. Then, two, a few days later, He tried to not get the New York Times's endorsement because of an op-ed they published from Senator Tom Cotton, which, again, only crippled his campaign. Then he said, when AOC endorsed somebody else, that she was trying to decide the race for herself and not just endorse somebody. Of course, when Pelosi endorsed him, he didn't have the same reaction. Then, he lied about getting Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer's endorsement. All of this within the same month. A lot of it within the same week. I mean, just wow, Elliot. Just wow. I want you to go over to the mirror, okay? Look at yourself really hard and say... I did this. You are the reason why you, a 16-term congressman, who almost no one had heard of until about a month ago, just lost his seat. You are the reason that happened. You could have skated by really easily. No one outside of a handful of progressives and justice democrats would have heard of Jamal Bowman if it wasn't for you continuously making as many flubs as possible in the most crucial run-up to the election. I mean, just wow, dude. Just wow. You screwed yourself here. You screwed yourself really hard. I mean, we live in an era where incumbent politicians have over a 90% percent reelection rate. And, Elliot, you've been in there for 16 terms and you screwed it up. You screwed it up. Congratulations, Elliot Angle. I hope you enjoy your retirement package the same as Joe Crowley. Anyway, let's turn the conversation to mail in voting. Now, a guy named Tom Ridge, who you may have heard of, uh, if you haven't, he was the first head of the Department of Homeland Security. Okay, this is a guy who basically spent his political career either being a paranoid nutcase or pretending to be a paranoid nutcase, all things considered. Uh, <laughs> well, he was asked about mail-in voting, and on MSNBC, here's what he had to say. Let's listen. Um, Look,
1: uh, election security is part of, of the Homeland Security Initiative as well. Um, mail-in balloting. Uh, Explain, in your view, um, uh, how secure it is. We've been using mail-in balloting since the Civil War. Uh, The Heritage Foundation, probably an organization I would suspect that uh, the President is familiar with, took a look at the past 250 mail-in ballots, absentee ballots, 250 million, I repeat, And there were 200 cases of individuals being prosecuted for improper use. So I think this assertion that somehow historically there's a precedent or going forward, there's reason to believe that there'd be massive fraud because of the use of absentee ballots is what Refers to as fake news. It is. There's no historical antecedent. And and by the way, uh, you would be disenfranchising Mr. President. 25% of the people who voted in 2016 voted by absentee ballot, Mm -hmm. and you won that election. And in the swing states of Pennsylvania and Arizona and many others, you've seen unprecedented use of uh, absentee ballots. So it's counterproductive. And counterintuitive to reject to say that uh, we shouldn't be focused on maximizing turnout and using absentee ballots so people don't have to make a choice between their health and exercising their civic responsibility to vote.
0: Anyway, that was Tom Ridge again, the former head of the Department of Homeland Security, directly saying that mail-in ballots were safe. I, I trust him on this personally. I mean, when Tom Ridge is saying something is safe. When the department he worked for was basically just designed to keep people paranoid, he was, um, this is the man who, you guys remember the terror codes? He was the one who headed that department. That was what the Department of Homeland Security started off doing. It was the terror codes, which were always at Orange, by the way. Always at Orange. Never anything else besides Orange. Maybe they dropped that a level for a day or two, but no, then they're back up to Orange. Uh paranoia was this guy's job people if he believes it's safe yeah i believe it's safe tom ridge is saying something is safe that means everyone else should have figured it out it was safe a long time ago (laughs) if tom ridge is really like the level-headed voice of reason here we have failed as a society (laughs) i think that's fair to say i think that's fair to say And mind you, it wasn't all Ridge's fault. I want to stress that right now. In fact, he talked about it in his memoir. He was pressured by Attorney General John Ascroft and Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld to raise the terror code levels just before the 04 election to help George W. Bush. But with that said, he still went along with that. He still did that. He still manufactured paranoia. Well, now he is the co-chair of a group called Vote Smart, designed to increase support for mail-in voting again if tom ridge is telling you something is safe you should know something is safe uh, the clip i just played for you was during an interview he did on msnbc so maybe it was just the fact that it was a liberal network well he, here's what he said on the more moderately conservative network the hill specifically on their show rising here's what he had to say
1: on ballots to come I think one of the concerns that has come from Republicans in particular, of which um, you are one that you don't share this concern, is that this would be a move that would benefit Democrats. Is there actually any evidence of that? Uh, absolutely none. Uh, ironically, it's a it's a very false claim uh, at the conceptual level. You just think about an absentee ballot. It, it doesn't or uh, the benefit is does not go to either party. Now, the party that focuses on it, the campaign that focuses on it, the candidates that use it may gain an enormous advantage, but conceptually the notion of absentee ballots, it doesn't favor one party or the other, pure and simple, it never has and never will.
0: So, Governor, one of the things that I think the accusation has been around ballot harvesting is that ballot harvesting is something that could be done um, in order to obfuscate the results or skew them in some way. Could you go into why, you know, given your experience in running the DHS and more about why that's not an accurate
1: concern? Well, again, I think uh, it is a concern that has been expressed. There's no anecdotal or historical evidence that suggests that the kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, potential massive fraud or massive abuse uh, has occurred or will occur in the future. And I would remind everyone that there are certain, uh, within each state, there are certain uh, requirements and certain uh, checks and double checks on, on uh, absentee ballots that uh, frankly reduce the potential uh, threat, reduce the threat of a potential abuse of ballot harvesting. So again, uh, the states go about it in a very meticulous and very appropriate way. And again, it's a, I think there's a false alarm associated with that concern, just as there is a false alarm about uh, absentee ballots writ large. I mean, mm. if you take a look at the 2016 election, uh, the last time I checked, uh, uh, the president won, even though he's opposed to absentee ballots, but I would remind the president that uh, about 25% of the Americans who voted in 2016 in the election in which he prevailed voted absentee. And I would also say to you very respectfully, uh, in Washington, D.C., Republican incumbents and Republican challengers in both the House and Senate, I'm quite confident their campaigns will be looking to focus on expanding absentee ballot. Uh, support uh, rather than reducing it
0: uh-huh. that was ridge on the hill saying the exact same thing you told msnbc that being that mail-in voting is entirely safe and that there is no reason for anyone to oppose it and by the way we've known this for a long time national review online looked into it they found that since 2000 examples of fraud through mail-in voting are literally one in a million the President is not concerned in any way about security of elections. If that were the case, he'd end all these voting machines. Oh, wait, he can't do that. His daughter is making them. Yeah, that's the actual security concern. That's the actual hacking of the election we should be looking at. Um, there's a it's well known at this point that voting machines almost certainly stole the election of 4 for Bush. Okay? So at this point, we shouldn't even have them. And if mail in voting is really your big concern about election security, you're just not looking hard enough. You are just not looking hard enough. So I'll make these people a deal. Get rid of the voting machines. Then, then we'll talk about ending absentee ballots. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Anyway, last thing for tonight. Representative Matt Gates, the Republican from Florida. I'm sorry, Matt kattees. that that's how it's pronounced. You can't stop me. Uh, <laughs> uh, he was giving a speech at students for Trump, yeah, the students for Trump meeting recently. and this was just, oh my God. I saw this with the caption on uh, with a caption from the Hill, and I just started laughing like hysterically, just just listen.
1: President Reagan said, tear down that wall. President George H.W. Bush wanted a thousand points of light, whatever that means. Clinton wanted to build a bridge. He just didn't tell us that it was going to be the Chinese Communist Party and illegal aliens coming back across the bridge. Obama, Obama told us which way the like moral arc of the universe bent. He really did. President Trump is going to build the wall, but once we build that wall, we need someone to man the gates. And at times they'll swing open, but those gates must always remain closed for anyone who would do our nation harm morally, physically, or economically.
0: Okay, let's just go through the quotes real quick. First off, President Reagan said, tear down that wall. You gotta pick the most obvious quote, even when it doesn't make any sense. Like, at all. In the slightest. Especially given, uh, the quote you make fun of Bill Clinton for, which we'll get to in a minute. And the fact that, um, who, who brazed a wall at the end of that clip, Matt? I, I don't think it was some commie. I think it was you. I think it was you. Did your body get switched with that of a commie a little bit later? Uh... (laughs) Who knows? Oh my god, John Birch Society was right all along! Matt Gatiss is a commie! I don't know if they ever accused Gatiss specifically of being a commie. Does the John Birch Society even still exist? Serious question. President George W. Bush talked about a thousand different lights. Uh, Which, by the way, was actually... I'll give you it was a stupid metaphor, so I won't make fun of Gatiss for that. Bill Clinton said we should build a bridge, and then he, thinking this would be hilarious, says, "But he didn't tell us that bridge was that would be, uh, would bring back the Chinese Communist Party." Okay, okay, I'll give you. Clinton was an unapologetic free trader and illegal aliens. What? Clinton signed some of the toughest illegal immigrant enforcement into law. Okay. He was tough on illegal immigrants, dude. Um, like, he signed some of the harshest immigration restriction at the time, even especially harsher than Ronald Reagan or George W. Bush, both of which advocated for basically amnesty. In fact, Ronald Reagan did sign amnesty in the law, and George W. Bush um, was willing to sign what later became the Dream Act, or what started out as the Dream Act, and what later became the DACA program and everything else. Okay, so that's nonsensical. By the way, I like how he doesn't mention George W. Bush. Wonder why? Is it because it makes his party look bad? That's exactly why. We know that's exactly why. Uh, <laughs> and then, <laughs> McAtees brings out his ultimate confusion. Barack Obama said that the moral arc of the universe? What does that mean? Bends towards justice? Huh. Of course, that was a metaphor to how bad people in foreign policy always lose. That's a reference to what's commonly referred to as the big school of history, which is that representative democracy is the end goal of human society. It's the end point. I don't agree with that, but I at least understand what it means. There was a book written... Recommend to tease read if he wants to actually understand that idea. It's called The End of History. I forget who wrote it. It was written shortly after the Cold War ended, and basically says that representative democracy, if you will, democratic republics, are the endpoint of history. That is the ideological evolution of man and what it's going to lead us to. There's this common thread in neoliberalism and Jeff- and representative democracy ideology. That basically say that they are post-ideological, and I don't like that fact, but that is what President Obama was referring to, is that in the long run, yeah, that's what's going to be the end. He specifically said that. He said it a series of times, but the most specific example I can think of is after Russia tried to take over Ukraine, or tried to take over Crimea specifically. Um... He said that the moral arc of justice, or the moral arc of the universe will bend against Vladimir Putin, for instance, because Putin basically runs an oligarchy. I think that's fair. I think it's it's an oligarchy, more or less. Uh, Filled with the same thugs that run the Soviet Union or ran the Soviet Union years earlier. Seriously, if you look at the people inside Putin's inner circle, a lot of them did work for the Soviets. Yeah, it is an oligarchy. It is an, I think, autocracy would also be a good term. I think. I don't know if that's accurate or not. But then, don't you worry. Gatise knows that we are going to build a wall, and we need men to man that Gatiz. okay? Because those Gatises might swing open. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying the word in a story about him. I'm sorry. No, it's too fun now. May <laughs> swing open. And if so, all the illegal immigrants are going to come in and take our jobs. The communists are going to come in. And uh, destroy our country through free trade and Austrian economics.
1: I don't know how
0: they... It, it's very simple, you see. First, the communist party comes in. Then, they embrace Austrian economics, Okay? then we're all communists, I think. Yeah, I find a lot of these ideologies to be very pretentious, if you can't tell. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's all for tonight. If you enjoy the show, you'll enjoy my new book, The Establishment is Dead. Long live the establishment. You can buy it below. Follow me on Twitter at fromjoessene1. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, send them to me at review at gmail.com. That's Feasable Review at gmail.com. Just name the show at gmail.com. I'm F and good night.